0: Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance. Your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene. The voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR broadcasts from the land of the Wurundjeri people, of the Kulin Nation, whose sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and into the future. Our guest today is a treasured voice in the Melbourne Spoken Word community, was winner of the People's Choice Award in the 2018 Melbourne Spoken Word Prize, and will be feature performer at the closing night party for this year's Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival. I'm pleased to welcome Rania Ahmed.
1: Thank you. A free bird cannot live in a caged world where wings are clipped and love is conditional, where clouds roam the empty skies in silence because condition is law in this land. Conditions define us like boundaries, placing red tape around emotions, around opinions, around acceptance of the other, where the other is only one of us with conditions. Conditional mother to child, conditional lover to another. Conditions creep through our lives like thieves, ridding us of humanity, making our minds black and white when originally we came from many shades of brown, Earthy colors and textures, humbly serving unconditionally. So why the conditions? When all they do is restrict our ability to give, to love. I will love you if. I will accept you if. Conditions are red tape. But humanity, humanity is not a crime scene.
0: Thank you. Was there a point in your life where you started to realize, oh, there's conditions on everything?
1: Yeah. Probably 20. I think I, I had just broken up with my first fiance. And um, and yeah, that's when I, things looked a bit different. Just learned, I had some soul searching times and realized things that I didn't really notice before. So,
0: so it was very different from childhood. What was your yeah. childhood like?
1: My childhood was really um, very typical, to be honest. I was a very girly girl and and, um, it was really beautiful, to be honest, up until the migration at 11. And then I kind of got, it just got taken away once I got to Australia. So it just needed to grow up really, really quickly just to cope with it all.
0: So where were you from?
1: Egypt. My dad got a job in Melbourne University here. Just before the year before the recession, nineteen ninety one, and then we got here at nineteen ninety two, and the recession started. We we had made it here, but then the job just wasn't available anymore. So, it was some tough times.
0: So, which part of Melbourne did you grow up in?
1: Keysborough. It was really nice, to be honest. It was quite multicultural. A lot of um, people from the Asian uh, continent, um, some Australians, some Indians. Um, I don't think I would have met anybody if I didn't come. Just learned about different cultures and different um, traditions, and it was it was quite amazing actually. It was like opening a new book about the world. It was really beautiful actually.
0: Um back in those days, Keysborough would have been like the country.
1: It was very very quiet, yeah, and not many people walked on the streets. And you know, I think back then everything closed at five and no weekend shopping and we had like if you were desperate you'd go to 711 and that's it type of thing yeah it's very quiet
0: was that very different from Egypt
1: oh 100% it's 180 degree turn so every, it's very lively over there and it's very noisy and but it was really nice how i could hear the birds chirp here i don't think i did that in egypt cuz it's just so loud
0: when did you f- start to discover that you could write
1: i think at 14 I started writing. My dad got me, like, one of those um, old typewriters from uh, one of the garage sales. Back then, every Saturday was a garage sale, and it was a big thing. So I got one of those, like, really olden typewriters where you really had to push the button, and that's how I started writing. It was so good. You know, at 14, you're kind of just discovering life and a lot of whys and stuff, and it was nice. Yeah, it was was, a good... Way to channel my energy, negative or positive. Mainly negative at that age, I think it was, 14.
0: (laughs) Were you rebellious?
1: No, no. I was, um... No, not at all, actually. I wasn't what you would call a, like, an obedient child, 100%, but I wasn't rebellious either. So, um, I was a quick thinker. I just, you know, quite logical, very male brain, um my father spent a lot of time with me that's why I became like that which is you know it's useful at times to be honest (laughs) Um, um yeah so I was there like for everybody so if there was a problem I was Mr Fix It so
0: did you read poetry when you were young
1: I read Arabic poetry a lot I'd missed home so that was my only time to actually like you know be there yeah i read i read um a lot of arabic poetry and because i didn't have the language to write because it's there's a lot of rules and involved um so i kind of started writing english and my teacher started liking it and i got into competitions at school and won them and that's when i realized i really like poetry
0: I remember once uh, you wrote online uh, there was a gig about Melbourne Spoken Word where you said you'd found the mothership.
1: Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I think um, most most artists and poets they just um, they walk the earth as strangers until they see you know their people, and that's that's the day I felt in that um, competition in that Melbourne Spoken Word competition that I met everybody in. I think back it, it was two thousand fifteen. Back then, I think, as terrified as I was that I saw so much talent in the one room. I was like, oh, my God. All I was thinking was I, I found the mothership. This is amazing. Finally, when did you guys land here? <laughs> so it was, it was a very nice feeling, to be honest.
0: And what was your first public appearance, you know, in front of a big audience?
1: Butterfly. Butterfly was my first one. I performed it at um, the end of year. Um, it was a um, festival. Uh, for the Footscray Arts Centre, and I, I performed Butterfly. And, um, and my, um, one of my mentors, John Weldon, who was, um, I think he teaches at uh, Victoria University creative um, writing, uh, he was really impressed, and he thought so well of it that I performed it at the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize that year. And, um, yeah, it, I, was, I was named, I was called Madam Butterfly for a while I think for about six months. (laughs) I think nobody knew my name, but they always called me Madam Butterfly for a while. So it was nice. I liked it.
0: Do you have that poem with you?
1: I do. Hide your wings, O butterfly. Pretend it's fine and live the lie. And if they ask you, if they ask you, please deny. No, no, you're wrong. I cannot fly. Hide your wings, don't let them see. You're a caterpillar, naturally. You live your life so willfully with all of them on this home tree. Hide your wings. Hide your wings, you will be fine. Don't say those wings are rightfully mine. Enjoy your life and just recline don't dare you let them see the signs. Hide your wings. Spread your wings, they're sure to know. Your power and that you can glow. Do that and surely you will show uniqueness and their minds you'll blow so hide your wings. Hide your wings. Hide your wings o oh butterfly. Pretend it's fine and live the lie. And if they ask you, if they ask you, please deny. No, no, you're wrong, I cannot fly. Hide your wings. Hide your wings.
0: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. A lot of your work has that kind of theme, that there's an undercurrent. You know, we have a public face, and then we have things happening under the surface.
1: Mm-hmm. It's um like I said to one in one of my um, poems. It's a world where sense won the war and destroyed sens- sensitivity. It's not a self that you can live without there in this world of ours. Unfortunately, it's um I proudly say I have a very sensitive side, but um I also have an armour. And it's always there and the only place where I can let down that armour would have to be on stage. That's the only safe space that I actually um, do that on.
0: And that's a kind of paradox, isn't it? Because yeah. you'd think the stage is a really vulnerable, scary place.
1: Yeah, strangely, it's 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 my only safe space. Um, I I actually really enjoy connecting, like eye contact with the audience. And, and there's always, in every single performance of, of mine, there's always... I lock eyes with somebody um, and that somebody, uh, through their facial expressions, I see whether I've succeeded or failed in my poetry.
0: So when you're writing, are you writing for yourself or are you keeping in mind that the audience needs to react to that as well? I keep in mind
1: that the audience... I make sure that my writing is um, is relatable to everybody. Um, I also make sure that I'm not finger-pointing at a particular problem and just saying it as it is, oh, okay, the world's in chaos. We all know that. Now what? Now what indeed? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, if I can, you know, give a different angle or like a positive angle on something or even just, oh, I didn't know that, while not shaming or finger-pointing at anybody for just being plainly ignorant, then that I've achieved what I need to. Like, if you really think about it, you know, we're all ignorant at some point. People may not feel as free as others, but are any of us really free? Like, can you stop blinking? Freedom is perception, really.
0: Would you say your faith informs any of these?
1: 100%. Just that peace of mind, I think. It helps me always see the, the silver lining somewhere in there. You know, the, the victim and the victimizer. It's a vicious circle. I understand why this victimizer became a victimizer. Because I think that's the only way we're going to get somewhere. He was probably a victim of somebody else. Just a bit of a wider perspective instead of the narrow-minded perspective. It's been a while since I've been on a train stood on concrete platforms awaiting its arrival while munching on a cookie from a nearby vending machine. Suddenly it arrives, and I finally find an empty chair amongst the old ladies still reading Jane Austen despite the world's disappointments. How their eyes lit up for a romantic scene, heads tilted to the left and palms held into hearts, a moment which united all our longing souls. For a moment we all related, for a moment our eyes met, we longed for the one thing. Eyes have so much power, they speak without words. Magnets attracting and repelling, 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 repelled is how I feel today. I no longer get smiles, just stares. Stairs filled with fire, smoke hovers in the air. Eyes so scared pupils have shrunk. Looks of disgust like daggers strike with no prior warnings. Eyes. I no longer like eyes. That judgmental sparkle disappearing as I speak or show the slightest sign of intellectuality. How dare I be civil, educated, friendly, kind. Human. I see them, eyes full of questions. How dare you not be ignorant? I smile. How dare you not be violent? I smile. More stares and I hold back the tears. Tears which fall as I watch the news and see my people in chaos, wars, famine, Islamophobia. The thought of entering the mosque on Friday with only one prayer in mind. To him we belong and to him we shall return. I breathe in the hatred. I tell myself, tomorrow will be better. Tomorrow is up to me. Keep smiling, but no one smiles back anymore. Ever since the towers went down, no one smiles. Ever since the night is a shade darker, the stars rarely sparkle in the eyes of bystanders except his eyes. His eyes sparkle every time he sees me. I wave and he smiles, reclaiming the humanity between us, the little child with broken arms from the monkey bars, young eyes deep within the soul. I wish you could tell them, little one, who you see when you look at me.
0: It's a beautiful piece. Thank you, and it was written under terrible circumstances. It was, too.
1: yeah. It was, it was just written after the Christchurch um, massacre, and um, like I do, I, I poetry is a healing process for me. So I just, um, you know, just take it, take my feelings out on poetry. So
0: take it out on poetry. <laughs> yeah, take it out on poetry,
1: <laughs> on paper all the time, and it's just. Um, it was really nice because I did perform that um, that. A piece in Geelong for a racism um, conference, and um, I locked eyes with one girl, and still her face still like haunts me. It's um, and she was tearing through it, and um, it was it, she was just um, young, you know, white blonde angel. And it's just she just looked beautiful, and just to get her tearing through that poem, I felt like I've just conquered the world. To be honest, it was beautiful.
0: Do you feel like it's it's got worse?
1: Depends what perspective you look at it from. It it probably got worse in terms of the haters, but it got better in terms of perspective. People like we saw so much empathy. And a lot of people um, learnt a lot more. I don't know, I had an aunt who always advised me to um, never judge a situation until you look at it from other people's perspective, like from a full perspective, not just one angle of it. And and yes, okay, there's haters out there, but yeah, more people learnt about different situations and and yeah, we've realised in the middle of all this that there are people with empathy, it's not just, um, so there's always a lesson to be learned in situations like this.
0: 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. Welcome back to 3CR Community Radio, the program is spoken word, streaming from 3cr.org.au or 855am on your radio. I'm talking with Rania Ahmed today.
1: This one I wrote um, in one of the Melbourne Spoken Word workshops called Shut Up and Write. It was, it was inspired by a quote by, via the late Judith Rodriguez. She's a great poet, so um, I never read it to her. But here it goes. It's called Wind. Someone in the window watches on a windy day. Her eyes inches away from the angry leaves banging on glass and wood, trying their best not to shatter. She gazes at the wind with a look of resistance. It's been a while since anger made her blink. You see, the wind transports ashes from the past, from place to place and into our fragile minds. Memories of what was wanted, unwanted, forgotten, remembered. It is said the mind never possessed eyes of its own, yet it can see better. It can see further. It can see deeper. It embraces the ashes on the back of the wind and sees more than it should. It sees the painful past and mourns the time, mourns on every windy day, for the wind and the mind Nights on the battlefield, always at each other's side. The wind is a reminder. It blows ashes off people in front of our eyes so the mind can see. Windy days are no coincidence. The noise it makes are voices from before. They carry messages. In case we forget, they say, don't.
0: Shut up and write. Yep. What happens at shut up and write?
1: Nothing. It's <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Literally just tables and stillness. Just quiet. It was. Um, I actually wrote another poem in, in that same workshop that I'm performing in, in the, um, on the 28th uh, for the closing party. Um, that was really inspiring, but I'll leave it till then. It was just really nice experience just to just to have the shh. I don't get that personally um, at home, so I. It was nice to just kind of not have such a crowded head and just have just some silence and to write, and all you're hearing is just your 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 poetry. It was it was a really lovely feeling. Yeah, I don't have that, that silence. That's why that particular workshop was just heaven for me. You know, half an hour, 45 minutes of no one saying, Mum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you write a poem in um, short bursts and then string it together or do you try and write one in one sitting?
1: I, I, I write a whole one and then I edit the living daylights out of it. I think I owe that mainly to a friend of mine who just, it was pretty contagious, um, the whole editing thing. It's... it's um I think when I got a bit, like, when I became friends with Amanda Anastasi, she created a monster about editing. <laughs> <laughs> now I actually, she, she'd be like, oh, no, it's fine, and I'm still editing the living daylights out of it. So um, this is what I got for hanging out with her a bit
0: too much. So yeah, <laughs> when do you know they're finished?
1: I don't anymore. I used to before I made friends with this lovely lady, and now it's like, oh, it's, still a little bit more this yeah yeah um, I need some therapy for that I think it's just it's getting a bit too much
0: <laughs> does performing it live help you get a sense of whether something's finished or yes
1: not quite 100% late? yes 100% I just see the how the audience react to it and it's like okay like um yeah so so far I'm I'm okay with the live performance it's everybody asks me about books and stuff and it's like I don't feel I have mastered the page poetry yet, like in terms of actually doing a book and actually putting something on paper. I just want a little bit more strength before I actually do that.
0: And you're performing in the Melbourne Spoken Word Festival. I am. This year?
1: The 28th? The closing night party. The closing night party, yeah. And um, yeah, I'm performing with some really, really strong poets and that's um, terrifying the living daylights out of me.
0: But you were people's choice last year in the, yeah. in the Spoken Word Prize.
1: Yeah, look, I, I, I actually – th- I'm, I'm, I'm still processing that, to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you were the first poet out of 30 poets. And usually the first poet is the, is the forgotten one because by the time you get to the end – I'm, I'm told. Look,
1: I, I, was, I was very honoured for that. It was a, a true honour. Um, that that was that was my the fact that I got to the people to this extent, that was that was my prize, to be honest.
0: So none of the poems that Rani is performing today will be at the closing. Yeah, home.
1: none of them. <laughs>
0: so it'll be a huge surprise. That's right.
1: This is a letter to a young self. It was um done it was like a prompt from the dirty thirty a couple of years back or something.
0: For for the benefit of people who are going, what on earth is the Dirty Thirty?
1: Um, yeah, what is the what Dirty Thirty? It's a, it's a page on Facebook. Wakes up every April, I think. It's for Poetry Month, and um, and yeah, every day there's a um, there's a prompt for about a month, and everybody writes from that prompt, and then there's a winner at the end of the day. So it's really fun. Everyone should try it.
0: <laughs> it sounds like something um, that could get pretty obsessive.
1: Yeah, it can. It can. Yeah, it's, it's run by Abdul Hamid, who's uh, an amazing person, really.
0: What's this one called?
1: This one's called A Letter to a Young Self. You're special. Like really. The kind of special which sees blue faintly shining within black mystery. You're magnetic. A force that draws within hard rocky grey. Unbreakable. Despite how many times life chooses to drop you, you're fragile. Don't ever burden your eggshelled armor, protecting you from a double-edged sword only you can possess. Run away, run away to a new beginning with no judgment. The world is magical, a crystal ball with no edges. So, run and never look back. You're mercury. Malleable as liquid, enduring as metal, useful, poisonous, fluorescing, shatter. Cover those ears when missiles strike, and mourn the air carrying the poison made by blacksmiths mistaking you for iron. One day you will be fine. Trust me.
0: It's difficult writing for your past self, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Um. Yeah, it was. The the actual prompt was, if you were to talk to yourself, say ten, fifteen years ago, what would you say? And it was it was quite emotional, yeah. It was like, mmm. I think most artists will relate to being the the weird child or the weird person in the group and and I think one one poem that I really love by John McCarrow, um was talking about how the the artists and what they what, what describing artists and they being the odd ones out. It's um, it's yeah. That was really like hit the nail.
0: You can have empathy for other people, mm-hmm. but do you think it's the most difficult
1: finding empathy for yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it took me years, but yeah, finally got there. I think artists find it a little bit um, easier to. Um soul search because we're we see a lot more it's funny i i because my main profession is science and I do x-rays I meet a lot of patients with m s and anything they hear or feel it's it's tripled or quadrupled in in sense or hearing and I feel like we're like that but not physically emotionally it's it's quite hard to live with.
0: Lucky you can take it out on poetry. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. And best of luck on the 28th.
1: Thank you. I'll need it, I think. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) We'll see you there. Thanks. The Melbourne Spoken Word and Poetry Festival closing night event is on Sunday the 28th of July from 5 o'clock in the afternoon at Howler in Brunswick. And in addition to Rania, it features US guests Bill Moran and Mike Ting, and uh, local favourites Tender McFly, Claire Gaskin and John Inglesos. For more information on the festival, which began on the 11th of July, head to mswpf.com.au. This is Spoken Word on 3CR. Please tune in every week on Thursday at 9 o'clock, 855am on the radio, or download our podcasts from 3cr.org.au. I'm Brendan Bonsack.